Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And as our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are going to be taking a very special spotlight on what I like to roughly call Sephardi jazz. And there are some things, some elements to that we're going to discuss, like what it means, what, you know, what is Sephardi music, uh, how does it come in contact with jazz improvisation, and just how long has that been going on? Is that a recent thing, or has that been going on for a while? Well, you might be shocked to learn that Sephardi elements have been in jazz for quite a while. So, um, not since the beginning of jazz, but for a long, long time. Almost a hundred years. So, we're going to be uh, going kind of chronologically into this. And uh, you can even hear elements of Sephardi music behind us right now. In this intro... This is an original tune called West Bank, um, and it's got those same kind of elements that we're going to be breaking down and listening to, and some of the biggest names in jazz have actually used these musical elements within some of the most well-known albums on some of the most well-known labels in recorded jazz. So, sit back, relax, we've got 12 great songs for you. And um, we hope you enjoy this interesting deep dive into Sephardi music and Sephardi jazz. And if you aren't really hip with that, stick around. You might learn something and you might find a tune or two that you actually like a lot. So, yeah. Thank you so much for listening and helping us um, spread the, the message of the podcast. Remember, it's a labor of love. So uh, tell anybody you think that might dig this about the podcast. All right. Let's get to some Sephardi jazz.
Thank you. 
All right. So, killer trio there of music. Um, yeah, and you might have noticed some musical similarities with all three of those tunes. So, we're going to go in order. The first tune that we heard uh, in that set was a tune written by Dizzy Gillespie, Ray Brown, and Gil Fuller. And it's a tune called, That's Earl, Brother. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it comes from the absolutely seminal album on Savoy Jazz label, uh, Groovin' High. And it's the same album that's got Hot House, um, Dizzy Atmosphere, Blue and Boogie, the All the Things You Are with the Bird of Paradise intro, uh, Salt Peanuts, Eminon, all those just classic bebop tunes, right? So, um... Dizzy Gillespie, of course, is on the trumpet. Sonny Stitt's on the alto sax. Milt Jackson, Bags himself, is on the vibraphone. Al Haig is on the piano. Ray Brown is on the bass. Kenny Clark is on the drums. So, yeah, I mean, it's just some some really killer playing. And it, it sounds like a typical kind of bebop tune from this era until they hit that weird little thing that goes, and it's like, whoa. Where do we just kind of turn for a quick second and then they pivot right back? So it's kind of an interesting thing. But this album goes all the way back to, I mean, well, at least that track was recorded May 15th, 1946. It's almost 80 years ago. So obviously that kind of sound's been around for a little while. Now, after that, we heard the one and only, the inimitable, Sun Ra. And we heard the tune, A Call for All Demons. And this comes from his album um, on Delmark, Sun Song, and was originally released in 1957. Now, Sun Ra was very ahead of the curve on a lot of issues, um... He was playing electronic instruments well before the whole jazz fusion era of the late 60s and the 70s. Um, he was ahead of that curve. He was playing synthesizers and electric instruments even back then. Of course, he was also wearing, you know, a lot of this kind of um, space garb. So, um, and of course, the, the infamous thing about Sun Ra is that he you know, continue to say throughout his career that he was from the planet Saturn. So, but some interesting music for sure. Uh, and then we ended that set with a 1959 recording called The Baghdad Blues, written by the one and only Horace Silver from his Blue Note Records album, Blowing the Blues Away. And talk about a killer lineup blue mitchell on trumpet junior cook on the tennis sax eugene taylor on the bass lewis hayes slamming the drums and of course our composer and pianist and band leader horace silver on the piano this is a very seminal album for horace silver it's the same album that's got blowing the blues away the title of the album peace the gorgeous ballad written by horace silver and sister sadie which is a jazz standard by any and all means so you heard a lot of similar kind of like i said before a lot of similar elements going on there right so i like to call that the kind of like the safari 
kind of elements that are embedded within jazz improvisation. Uh, I think Anthony Coleman called it the Sephardi tinge, <laughs> which is like a little uh, nod to Jelly Roll Morton and the Spanish tinge, you know. But uh, the definition of Sephardi music is it says this Sephardi music is an umbrella term, much like jazz, actually, you know. Uh, it's an umbrella term used to refer to the music of the Sephardi Jewish community. Sephardi Jews have a diverse repertoire, the origins of which center primarily around the Mediterranean basin. In the secular tradition, material is usually sung in dialects of Judeo-Spanish, though other languages including Hebrew, Turkish, and Greek, and other local languages of the Sephardi diaspora are widely used. Sephardim maintain geographically unique liturgical and paraliturgical traditions. Songs, which are sung by women, are traditionally sung while performing household tasks, without accompaniment or harmony. Tambourines and other percussion instruments are sometimes used, especially in wedding songs. The oud or the kanun are also used in some instrumentations of Sephardi music, and more modern performers incorporate countless other imported instruments. So, that's the overall definition, right? Uh, there's a lot of other kind of info, but I'm just going to kind of give you a little bit as we go through different breaks, kind of like the history of it, so you understand, you know, a little bit more background, right? Rather than just kind of front load everything right here and right now. But the thing is what a lot of people consider to be like Sephardi elements or Sephardi scales. Some, you know, um, scale books just simply call this um, the Jewish scale. Right. And you can manipulate um, a major or minor scale in it in various ways to to get this sound. Uh, and it's a formula that works across the board. So if you're playing like a major scale, you would flat the two or the second scale degree and you would flat the six or the six scale degree. Right. So, for instance, if you were to flat the two and flat the six in a major scale, it would sound something like this. Which totally has that sound to it, especially when you add in a couple of gruppettos. So that gets kind of that, on a very basic level, that gets that kind of sound that Dizzy was experimenting with, that Horace Silver and Sun Ra was experimenting with, um, with a little grappetto mixed in there. So you get that little grappetto and it gets that kind of sound going on. Uh, another way of looking at it is almost uh, using, well, to, to use grippettos in that similar kind of 
technique within a harmonic minor scale, right? So you can get that same kind of sound that way as well. Um, I personally find that it's a really cool skeleton key um, and a useful scale to know. And it's a skeleton key within those half-step motions of dominant sevenths between Thelonious Monk tunes. So, yeah, because they kind of rotate back and forth, uh, I find that in songs like Epistrophe, for instance, like the A section of that, uh, it, it works fantastically well to get a different sound altogether. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that's kind of the sound of, of kind of like the Sephardi scale. Uh, we got more music coming at you uh, that's going to expand upon this. Uh, I mean, we've already hit, if you ask me, a home run with Dizzy Gillespie, Sun Ra, and Horace Silver just to start the thing. So don't go anywhere. We've got lots of great music by tons of jazz giants coming at you right now on the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
<laughs> oh yeah. Killer, 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 killer stuff. Oh, all right. So that was a tune. We're going to go what we heard most recent. So that was a tune called Ahmad. And that was written by and performed by the one and only Duke Ellington and his orchestra. Uh, it comes from his 1966 album, The Far East Suite, which is one of my all-time favorite albums by the great Duke. And in this album, he is reflecting on his and Billy Strayhorn's impressions of Indo-Eurasian scales, motifs, and all these kind of riffs combined with jazz elements that just swing like mad. Um, of course, you know, it's, it's a who's who in this band. It's Duke Ellington and Harry Carney and Russell Procope and Johnny Hodges and Jimmy Hamilton and Paul Gonzalez all in the reed section. Killers. Lawrence Brown, Buster Cooper, Chuck Connors in the trombone section, the one and only Cootie Williams, Cat Anderson, Mercer Ellington, and Herbie Jones on the trumpets. John Lamb is on the bass, and Rufus Jones is on the drums. Heavy, but gorgeous. Just. And, and it's still got those elements that we're talking about, those Sephardi elements, you know. All right. Uh, before that, in the middle of the set, we heard an original composition by the one and only John William Coltrane. That's right. John Coltrane from his Atlantic Records album, Coltrane Jazz. We heard an original composition by him called Fifth House. Um... Fifth House is one of Train's most powerful lines and a tune which offers another puzzle to the listener. It is based on the countdown changes superimposed part of the way on a pedal C and a pedal G. Yet, one gets an idea that this tune may be based on a standard. The way the phrases move hints at this. Okay, so on this particular... Uh, track Fifth House let's see because there's multiple folks uh, on this particular recording session I'm looking in the line of notes here yes so Fifth House was recorded December 2nd 1959 all right, and on that date, December 2nd, 1959, it's John Coltrane on the tenor saxophone, Cedar Walton on the piano, Paul Chambers, Mr. P.C., on the bass, and Lex Humphrey. I'm sorry, that's wrong. It's John Coltrane on the tenor sax, Wynton Kelly on the piano, Mr. P.C. on the bass, and Jimmy Cobb on the drums. Now, if that rhythm section sounds slightly familiar, you are correct, because... Wynton Kelly played on Freddie Freeloader, and so did Paul Chambers and Jimmy Cobb on that Miles Davis album you may have heard of called Kind of Blue. So they were playing this beautiful little thing uh, on Fifth House. And what's really cool about that is, besides the Sephardi elements going on, 
there's also this kind of split tone thing that Coltrane was playing at the end there where he was almost playing two notes at once on a saxophone. You can't do that on a saxophone normally. You can play two notes at once on a piano, on a guitar, on a bass. Not like on a saxophone, but he found a way to do it. And as I was reading the biography on The Great Thelonious Monk by Robin D.G. Kelly, it was actually Thelonious Monk that taught Coltrane how to do that. It wasn't just Coltrane experimenting and finding it out. Monk taught him how to do that because Monk knew kind of the, the physics of the saxophone. He's like, oh yeah, well you could probably get two notes to split at the same time if, if you do this fingering based on how many holes there are. I mean, Monk was truly like an Einstein. He really was. So, there's your uh, fun fact for the day. All right. At the beginning of the set, we heard a great, great tune called Isma'e. Listen is what it translates to by the one and only out and bassist Ahmed Abdul Malik, who is usually known as a bass player who played with Thelonious Monk. How about that for a segue? Um, but this comes from his own album called Jazz Sahara. And it features uh, a, some jazz like legends that you might not, uh, you know, ever think would do something like this. Uh, so I'm just going to go through the the whole band here. Ahmed Abdul Malik is on the out and on the bass. Um, Naim Karakand is on the violin. Jack Ganaim is on the canoon. Mike Hamway is on the darabeka. Bilal Abdurrahman is on the tambourine, otherwise known as the doof. Al Harewood who's played on some really great Blue Note records as well, is on the drums and in the tenor saxophone chair there. The one and only Little Giant, Johnny Griffin. So, yeah, I mean, just some killer music going on right there. So um, hopefully you're digging some of this stuff, you know? Okay, so I told you I was going to give you a little bit more uh, background on Sephardi music just so you kind of get an idea, right? So Sephardi music has its roots in the musical traditions of the Jewish communities in medieval Spain and medieval Portugal. And I might add this before I continue. A lot of folks have said that there's a, a an interesting similarity, reflection, comparison between you know the the Spanish boleros and the blues in America. And it's interesting that this kind of Sephardi element comes or has history and roots in medieval Spain. So it's interesting that these kind of things collided in, 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 in many different ways. Spanish music and jazz and, you know, Sephardi music and elements within jazz improvisation as well. So, But going on, um, since the medieval Spain and medieval Portugal. Since then, it has picked up influences from Morocco, Greece, Bulgaria, and the other places that Spanish and Portuguese Jews settled after the expulsion from Spain in 1492 and from Portugal in 1496. Lyrics were preserved by communities formed by the Jews expelled from the Iberian Peninsula. 
These Sephardi communities share many of the same lyrics and poems, but the melodies vary considerably. Because so many centuries have passed since the, the expulsion, a lot of the original melodies have been lost. Instead, Sephardi music has adopted the melodies and rhythms of the various countries where the Sephardim settled in. The Greek and Turkish traditions are fairly close. The Moroccan or Western Sephardi traditions are not that close to the Eastern Greek or Turkish traditions. These song traditions spread from Spain to Morocco, which is the Western tradition, and several parts of the Ottoman Empire, the Eastern tradition, including Greece, Jerusalem, Armenia, the Balkans, and Egypt. Sephardi music adapted to each of these locales, assimilating North African high-pitched extended ululations, Balkan rhythms, for instance like 9-8 time, and the Arabic Macham mode. The song traditions were studied and transcribed in the early 20th century by a number of ethnomusicologists and scholars of medieval Hispanic literature. From around 1957, that's the same date that Sun Ra recorded A Call for All Demons, by the way, that we heard in the first set. From around 1957 until quite recently, Samuel Armistead from the University of California, Davis, UC Davis, with colleagues Joseph Silverman and Israel Katz, collected Judeo-Spanish songs from informants in North America, Turkey, the Balkans, Greece, North Africa, and Israel. The digitized recordings with transcriptions and information about song type are available on the Folk Literature of the Sephardi Jews website, now permanently hosted by the University of Illinois Library. So there's some interesting things going on there, you know, um, and we're going to be talking about some of those because, you know, notice how they said that there were parts of them uh, that kind of um, took in the traditions of North Africa. And as we get into North Africa, you get into, besides like Egypt and things like that, there's a, another country that uh, is around there. And that actually might inform you of the next song that we're about to start this next set with. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Safari Jazz here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Thank you. 
All right, three sensational tunes right there, man. All right, so the last thing that we heard there, and they're all from the 60s, uh, the last thing that we heard there was a tune, uh, an original tune by the one and only trumpet great Lee Morgan. Um, and it's called Exotique. And it comes from his 1964 recording, Tomcat which featured Lee Morgan on the trumpet, Curtis Fuller on the trombone, the one and only Jackie McLean on alto sax, McCoy Tyner on the piano, Bob Cranshaw on the bass, and Art Blakey on the drums. A Blue Note classic for show. Uh, and if you like Lee Morgan music, there is we have a two-part spotlight here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast on the music of Lee Morgan as leader and sideman, so be sure and check that out. Um... Yeah, before that, we heard the incomparable piano trio of Bill Evans on on the piano, Scott LaFaro on the bass, and Paul Motion on the drums. Recorded Groundhog Day, 1961, we heard the Bill Evans composition, Nardis. And yeah, I know there's some debate. Did Miles write it? Did Bill write it? I think Bill wrote it. It sounds like a Bill tune doesn't really sound like a Miles tune. So. And that was from the album, the Riverside album, Explorations by the Bill Evans Trio. Fantastic album. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of interesting because you got to understand that um, there's some Sephardi elements going on within the song Nardis. But uh, the whole album starts out with the, uh, the Johnny Carisi tune, Israel. So is that a, a hint? Is that foreshadowing? Who knows? But um, there you go. And then we started off the set with the one and only Dexter Gordon from his Blue Note album, Our Man in Paris. We heard A Night in Tunisia. That's the North African country that I alluded to earlier on the last break. Uh, it features Kenny Clark. Kluke himself on the drums, Pierre Michelot on the bass, the incomparable Bud Powell on the piano, and of course Dexter Gordon on the tenor saxophone. And here's the thing I wanted to talk about is that, yes, that melody has some bebop elements, it's got some Sephardi elements, but the reason I, and there's only like a kajillion versions of a night Tunisia out there, right? So why did I pick... Dexter Gordon's from Our Man in Paris, that album. Well, throughout his solo, he's got this thing that he's doing which really leans heavily on that whole Sephardi tinge in his improvisations. All that sort of stuff, right? Um, you hear that line in his... his um, in his solo. And I mean, there's so many things going on in a solo. He's quoting things a la Sonny Rollins. You know, it's like, I think he quotes Summertime. He's got uh, just this incredible laid-back swing to his sound, but he's also got these Sephardi elements. He's got bebop things going on. Uh, to me, it's one of the best solos Dexter has ever recorded, and trust me, there's quite a handful of fantastic solos that Dexter has recorded. But... This one is up there for me because I'm very sympathetic to that Sephardi sound. I love it, you know. So, 
That being said, uh, hopefully you're starting to hear all the way from Dizzy through Dexter, Bill Evans, Lee Morgan, you know, Sun Ra, Horace Silver, all these cats. These little elements, these little Sephardi elements that are coming into play. You know what I mean? Um, and it's really interesting music. And it's really interesting. Um, it's an interesting spice to put in any jazz improvisation is what I'm trying to say. You know, it's it's kind of like saffron. You don't use it everywhere, but when you do use it, you certainly notice it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's really it's it's kind of cool. And hopefully you're digging some of these tunes, too. Remember, uh, if you're trying to jot down all this stuff, there is no need to do that. We have all the information right at your fingertips. All you have to do is go to the Dr. Jazz Podcast website. And the address for that website is Dr. Jazz Podcast. D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. And there you can find out the exact song titles by the exact artist with the album art in the order in which they're played for each episode of the podcast. And at the top of the page there, there's a contact button. You can hit that, and it'll take you to a a page that you can write us uh, an email directly. And if you'd like to tell us how you feel, feel free to go ahead. We'd love to hear from all of our listeners. Uh, And we will write you back. So, yeah. And thank you for listening. Thank you for, you know, letting us be a part of your day. Uh, Also... If you know anybody that would dig this kind of podcast, uh, jazz music, I mean, it's pretty varied. Um, We've got all sorts of things out there. You know, jug bands, washboard bands, New Orleans music, bebop, safari music. It's everything, man. Um, Yeah, so if you know anybody who who would dig this, please pass it on. Because remember, we're really not making a dime off this. In fact, we actually have to pay to upload it to our platform. So, and remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast, speaking of platforms, wherever you find your podcasts, whether that's SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, TuneIn, uh, Podbean, we are there. So, yeah, it's pretty easy to tell one of your friends, like, hey, I think you'd really dig this. Check it out. You know what I mean? So, and we would appreciate it. So, yeah, it is a labor of love, but um, we're just trying to spread good music out there in the universe. So, there you go. All right. So we've got one more tune for you, or one more set of tunes for you. So I do certainly hope that you dig it. I hope you stick around. Hope you've learned some things and hope you found some new tunes that you like and that you will go hunting for, hopefully, if you have one in your local record store. But if not, you know exactly what to order. Okay. So don't go anywhere. We've got one last set of music coming at you, and it's a doozy. I think you'll enjoy it.
All right, a little bonus with that one. I figured I'd throw in one more, you know, and you'll see why here in a minute. Uh, so we started off the set with a tune called Three Wishes, which is by none other than jazz legend Ornette Coleman, alongside Jerry Garcia from his, that's right, the same Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead and Ben and Jerry's fame. Um, it comes from his 1988 album Virgin Beauty, which is a, a really killer record. But you hear that those same kind of Sephardi elements coming through the melody and in the improvisations, which is just fantastic. Uh, after that, we heard from the one and only great Tom Harrell, one of my absolute favorite trumpet and flugelhorn players and composers in jazz. Uh, a living legend for sure. We heard the song January Spring, uh, which featured, of course, Tom on trumpet flugelhorn, Joe Lovano, Joe Lovano on flute, Danilo Perez on the piano, the incomparable, just majestic Charlie Hayden on the bass, and Paul Motion on the drums. Another track with Paul Motion. We heard him with the Bill Evans trio, and here he is with Tom Harrell. It's just, yeah. Um, a lengthy but gorgeous tune from the 1990 album Form. And that's on Contemporary Jazz Records there. Uh, then we had uh, pianist Tarek Yamani with Petros Klampanis on the bass and John Davis on the drums. We heard Shea Maliwali, which is a traditional Iraqi tune. Uh, and this comes from Tarek's album Lisan Al-Tarab. Uh, and that comes from 2014, actually, which is kind of cool. And it's uh, jazz conceptions of classical Arabic tunes, which is really, really cool. And that kind of goes to that um, Arabic machams, um, if I'm pronouncing that right. And if I'm not, I apologize for butchering that. But there's that side of it, too, which is really, really cool. And then we ended the set with the one and only Masada Quartet, uh, led by compositional just genius and saxophone player John Zorn with his Masada Quartet, the original Masada Quartet of John Zorn on the alto sax, Dave Douglas on the trumpet, Greg Cohen on the bass, Greg Cohen for mayor. Uh, and Joey Barron on the drums. It comes from Masada Volume 1, Aleph, uh, on the DIW label. Uh, 1994, there was 10 studio volumes um, of the original Masada Quartet, and this is one of the best ones to start out the whole ball rolling. Um, it's the second track on the album. It's called Bithaneth, and it's just... A gorgeous melody and um, yeah John Zorn took that exact kind of Sephardi scales and and those sounds and mixed them in a variety of, of styles and flavors from um, free jazz to klezmer to rock to surf all these sort of, of uh, the ballads all these sort of things and, and brought them into an acoustic non chordal quartet and uh, expanded that whole thing. He's written three books 
of Masada tunes. I think it's 613 tunes total. Um, and there is a whole host of John Zorn spotlights on this podcast. So if you like that music, the Masada music, uh, I highly suggest that you check some of that stuff out as well. Um, but hopefully you've dug this uh, episode of the podcast, uh, Safari Jazz, and uh, heard everything from Zorn to Dizzy Gillespie, those elements that have been part of jazz improvisation, and a little bit of history about it too. So we try not to get too thick and too deep into that, uh, mainly focusing on the music. But hey, we strive to educate uh, while having hip tunes to listen to. So again, thank you so much for having us be a part of your day um, and your ears. So uh, yeah. We, we are nothing without you. And in the famous words of Duke Ellington, you are beautiful, you are kind, you are very gracious, and we do love you madly. So until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, y'all be good now. Because in jazz, we trust. <laughs>